So maybe I'll just kick off like this. When we contemplated winding down Exodus a while back, we first started having conversations about what it would look like and how to wind down a group that has been in existence for almost nine years and what would be an appropriate way to do it. You've been hearing us over the last couple of weeks talking about why we even did a final series and why spend time kind of talking about it. When I was first talking to Monique about it, one of the ideas that came out first is she's like, I've got to grab the mic and ask the questions that you might not want to cover or really get into. And I think that's probably good because uh, I've had a lot to say over nine years, uh, but you might notice that I rarely talk much about me. So I'm going to leave it there, and I'll probably do a lot of talking, but Monique will be the one that is uh, Asking the question. This is really different being up here. It's crazy looking at faces that I've grown to really care about and like know like really well and like on a spiritual level. I don't know how you do this like every week. Okay, so what I really want to know first is how it is that you went into ministry being a full-time attorney at the same time. So how did you kind of make that jump into also going into ministry? I, you know, my first approach was I actually had thought about going to seminary when I was in college. And through a lot of reasons, it didn't happen. And I've talked about it in some of our podcasts sometimes, that that didn't happen. And there was a lot of dysfunction maybe in the church that I was in and also probably in my own immaturity at the time. So I ended up going to law school, and I thought that what I was going to do was I was going to take Christ into the legal world, especially big firm law, downtown L.A. law. And that's kind of what I did. And in the midst of it, uh, before I knew it, I was like six, seven, eight years into it. And it was my identity. It was everything I did. It took up all my time. And I was actually doing no ministry and probably very little good for Christ in any way. Uh, it just kind of consumed me. And it was actually a good friend that some of you know, uh, Dave Seau, uh, who was roaming around the earlier version of Exodus, who invited me to go out on a mission trip. And I thought, oh, he's, he seems like a nice guy. And I don't want to say no to him. <laughs> he's very persuasive. And I ended up deciding to go. And it was in the midst of that experience that I realized how far away I had actually moved uh, from any kind of life that mattered in the kingdom of God. I was even having doubts about how much uh, being an attorney really mattered in the grand scheme of life in general, uh, what good you really brought to the world. But in that way, uh, it brought me back to a sense of reality, being on a trip with him, and everything started to unravel after that. I mean, I started to actually have a hunger again for wanting to do good in the church and with people that I felt like I could reach. And that's how I first started hanging out with the earlier version of Exodus and just saying, I just need to start giving back. And slowly that led me to actually leave my job. I had to eventually, I couldn't be a full-time big firm attorney and have any other life on the side, especially one that was significant, that was going to take more than a few hours. And I quickly realized that Doing this was going to take more than a few hours. And, you know, through some encouragement from Lena, my wife, and a bunch of other things that were kind of, I think God brought into my life, it eventually led me to say, I have to go. I have to kind of start my own firm uh, with the stated intent that I could be more flexible so that I could actually do ministry at the same time. And a lot of people thought I was nuts to give up partnership in a large firm to go do that. But that's been the journey. I mean, that's what it took to get this started the right way. It's interesting that you say flexible, because <laughs> I mean, obviously it is, you're your own boss, you kind of can be flexible, but I've seen over the years, Exodus is like a full-time job. Like it added a lot, a lot to your life, and you kind of painstakingly took it on, and an amazing attitude with a lot of love. So I just want to know 
how it, how it is being bivocational, why you chose to be bivocational, to continue to work so hard to have your own practice and pour so much into ministry at the same time. Yeah, I thought bivocational was like a great answer. It turned out to be a lot harder than I anticipated. <laughs> the system in the church right now is like you're either a full-time vocational pastor at a church, right, or you can give a few hours here or there. Uh, as a volunteer, and I thought there must be a new way. And of course, people talk about it. I saw an article that said that 8,000 pastors in the U.S. are bivocational. That's out of probably more than a million. So, I mean, that's such a small percentage uh, that I, of course, picked the hardest thing to do of all of them. It was also, honestly, a little bit of pride. I mean, I thought, well, I could really, instead of seeking support or doing whatever needs to be done, like I could work, I'm good at creating money and wealth and taking care of things, and then I could just work on the side. And I'm always the kind of person who just feels like I could do it all, I can do everything. And that was a good idea for a while. And there's benefits to the flexibility. I mean, a lot of my clients thought I was in meetings when I was at Starbucks with (laughs) one of you guys talking about something. Or a lot of times they thought I was, you know, doing something really important in court when I was, you know, uh, planning something or reading something for Exodus. I mean, so it did give me that flexibility. But being bivocational is so hard. I felt like there were so many times when I wasn't doing enough for Exodus and I wasn't doing enough for my job. And maybe looking back, if anyone was going to do it, I would say do something that you could leave it behind. I've often said if I was a delivery person for UPS, like when I delivered my last box, I was done. I might not have the flexibility, but I wasn't worried anymore about the boxes after I was done delivering them. But, you know, I picked a profession where you live with it 24 hours a day. It's always there. If, you're, if not your clients, just the worry of having all the cases and the stress of handling all these large transactions for your clients. And it was, you know, I felt guilty no matter which one I was doing. You know, like if I <laughs> wasn't doing enough ministry, I go, hey, the, this is the whole reason. And then I feel guilty that I wasn't really providing enough for my practice and my clients. And uh, hopefully they'll never hear this. <laughs> <It'll> think, <laughs> They'll think I'm just a hard worker that's always in meetings when it was... So, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that's a bad thing. I wouldn't say to someone, don't be bivocational. But I would say that I chose one of the harder paths of taking on something that is more than a full-time job as an attorney, which I was already doing, and then going to a ministry that just there really is almost no end to what you could have put into it. And they were always warring against each other. Yeah. Joseph. So why add the teaching element of teaching classes on top of that then? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we forgot about that. Tri-vocational professor. <laughs> that was actually the least amount of time that it took. I mean, I, I'll, I'll admit, like, being uh, an adjunct professor is a little bit of work when you first get started, but after a while, it's not. And it gave me a really good connection to the very people that I think I was trying to go after. I think I've always been, in some way or another, uh, working with young adults, and I think it was before even Exodus started. I mean, I was, start, I was teaching at Pepperdine Law School uh, three years probably before I got involved with the earlier version of Exodus. And that age group just seemed to really be an age group that was struggling, that had a lot of questions. And I felt like if you really could make an impact, that might be one of those places. And so that continued on even when I found APU was opening its doors and saying, you know, we have this opening that you could do that. I thought that seems to fit my desire to really speak into that particular age group. Um, early on, like I always remembered when I was in college, there was always this professor you really loved, but he was always the one that was talking you out of belief in God, right? He was always the coolest professor, but he was also the one that had the best reasons not to believe in God. And I always thought, you know, if I could be anything, I'd like to be the one professor you really liked who had reasons to still believe in God. 
I want to be the opposite of that person if I could be that. And I thought to do that, I should still have, if, if possible, at least one foot in where these people are really getting their academic studies done. So you're talking about kind of being drawn towards um, the age group of young adults. Do you think that Exodus would work um, with a different age group? It would be harder, but I still think it could work. I think the thing that would make Exodus work with an older group is that they were in that group and it was somewhat stable for a period of time. Uh, one of the things I learned is that it takes a little bit of time for people to learn how to interact. Like, they, you got to learn the rules of the game. Like, you got to learn what's out of bounds and, like, how to ask a question and, and, and what might be, like, a really good way to ask the question. Like, and we have all learned that behavior. And I noticed that even as new people come into Exodus, they would, like, listen a little bit and they would hear how it was done and then they would kind of fall into place. We tried it once with an with a older adult group and it didn't work. Uh, they were really inflexible. And I thought, oh, that age group is just inflexible. That's what it is. I mean, once you lose that thinking mind and you turn 50 or 40 even, you know, like, it just, you know, it doesn't work anymore. we all lose anymore. our mind by then. Yeah. I remember we were just saying, somebody asked a question about, like, something, and I said, well, just assume for a moment that that wasn't true in the scripture. And the person just, like, but it is true. I'm like, no, no, but just go with me for a moment and assume that that, that turned out not to be true. He's like, but that, wouldn't, that could never be. And I thought, all right. That was the first time we had tried that, right? And I started to realize that if we did that more and there was more of that and you eased it into it, I think it could work. And recently I've seen a couple of times when it's been very helpful. So you're saying, talking about older, but what about younger? Anything younger than like a college age? I think there would be some high school people that would probably uh, do okay. But we've seen over the years that there's even people that are at the very beginning of their college years that have struggled a little bit. Right. And that's okay, because I think that sometimes that's, that's what kind of makes the way forward. But we've also had some high school age people over the years, maybe just a handful, maybe five, and the whole time that we've done it, who actually wanted to come and wanted to sit in and were ready for something. And they could even hear that wherever they were, they needed something a little bit more because they were ready to move to the next step. Uh, there is a lot of research, though, that's come out that said that really a lot of the reasons that so many young people have such a shallow faith that falls apart is that in junior high and high school, we're not going this deep. And I think there's something to that. I mean, if you attract people with pizza parties and fun events, uh, those are good for a certain age, but right. then you get to college and like, there's so much more you could be doing than pizza parties <laughs> and video games. Um, and if so, you're just attracting people with those things, then the world will attract them with greater things. Right. Uh, if you actually deeply root them, there's a chance that they'll want to stay rooted. Okay. Um, last week in our discussion, we were talking about whether or not Exodus was for everyone. And you said that you didn't think it was for everyone necessarily, but um, that it would be, could be beneficial for people to engage in it. So how do you kind of reconcile that it isn't for everyone maybe, but that it would definitely be beneficial <laughs> to everyone? I would go on a, on a limb and say that it would be beneficial for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I think that was the answer Chris was looking for. Right. Like, <laughs> It's hard to answer this question. It seems like an easy question, but it's hard for me. Uh, it's probably hard because there's a lot of emotion in this question. When I say that Exodus is not for everybody, first of all, I'm saying that empirically. Like we've done this for nine years, and we've seen that there's a smaller group of people. 
that would want to do this. So at least observationally, you'd say, this clearly isn't for everybody because this place wouldn't fit all the people who would want it if it was for everybody. Uh, I also am saying that like to a pastor, probably. You know, last week and the week before, we're kind of almost leaving breadcrumbs along the way. Like, if you were going to follow this path, here's some things you should know. And that's why I would say it's not for everybody, because a lot of pastors, I would think, are probably under pressure, especially if they're young adult pastors. Like, hey, we want you to go out there. We want you to bring in a bunch of people, and we want you to really reach them. And if you said to them, yeah, you can do this, and you might reach 30, 40 people, maybe 50 before the room got kind of out of hand, you couldn't do it anymore, that probably doesn't meet the definition of success that most churches have. That probably doesn't meet their stand. Like somebody at their church, if not them, would be like, hey, uh, you need to be doing more. Like this doesn't seem to be working. Because in our parlance, working really sometimes is a participation. It's a number. So I would just want to be fair and say this isn't for everybody. And you might actually also repel people. Uh, because some people will come in and say, whoa, this is not what I'm used to. Uh, we were talking last week about what I would usually call the template, which is, We've all grown up with an idea of what youth groups look like, what, what young adult groups look like, even what, you know, and they're just a copy of junior high, then it kind of changes a little bit to high school, then it's like college, and even most services today are kind of just like continued youth group, right? <laughs> they're like some worship, some talking, and some worship, right? And, and, and that's how most services are in, in evangelical churches. I know there's more liturgical expressions, I, I, I know that. But I'm saying there's a, there's a big movement of just copying the youth thing over and over. This doesn't look like that. I mean, we okay, we have worship and then a lot of talking and then some worship. <laughs> I mean, we have that. But some questions, some anger, some yelling. No, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's emotion. There's, there's people talking back. There's people disagreeing. There's some wrestling until you get to consensus, and sometimes you don't. And it doesn't fit the template that you're used to. So some people would come in and just seize up. Like, that's why I would say maybe it's not for everybody. Now, the reason I think maybe somebody like Chris was trying to say, or you would participate and say, but I think it could be for everybody, or maybe it should be, is probably because we sense that there's something really deeply, uh, not just meaningful, but the training you get out of this uh, is much more deep. Okay, and I want to respond to that too before we assume that that's the end. I've also met people in churches that I've talked to, and, and they've just told me flat out, like, I don't want to read anything, and I don't want to think through anything. I just believe in Jesus, and that's enough for me. And I felt like it would be a shame to unwind that. I know all of you might think that someday, and I might think this too, it, when trouble comes or when their, their, their belief in God is tested or when their simplistic belief doesn't match the reality of life, that there's going to be struggle there. And I've thought about that. And I've told you all that one of the reasons we went so deeply into so many subjects was I was hoping that we would do that before the storm came or so that we weren't doing it in the midst of the storm. A lot of us have lived within forms in Christianity that tell you, here's the answer, and it's simplistic enough that it fits on a bumper sticker. And it works until it doesn't. And you're left with no choice because you, you were told it, and it was supposed to be this true and this simple, and it was very easy to understand, and it was all about you, and it made you feel good. And, and like I said, that works until it doesn't. And then when it doesn't, you're going down the cycle. I mean, you're cycling down, you're just almost being sucked down into a black hole that's hard to get out of. They don't make it because of those things. But there are also people out there that I just meet that I think, you know what, it's not time. It's, not, it's okay where you are. Praise God that you have faith and you don't really want to go into it and you don't want to question it. Who am I to say that that's not a valid way to believe? 
Because you do. Yes, if it were up to me, I'd think you should probably have thought through those issues a little bit more. I see Chris inching, and like I'm like sitting here too. I just want to add and like push no, back. Yeah. So like you, you read about Paul, right? Having a love for them to correct their faith, to grow their faith, right? Not not saying like let's not rock the boat because we might spill a few people over. Like he definitely rocks the boat. I think based on this the history of the church, that actually strengthens the church because it unifies the belief. And you know then you couple that with. Jesus saying, love God with your whole mind, body, and soul. Like, it's not just, it's not just something where it's, it's on the surface to say, I believe in Jesus. That's, that's step number one. But after that, it has to be something happens. So the reason why I'm so strong on this position that it should be for everyone is, I think where I agree with you is that it may not work this way for everybody, but everybody could benefit from the fruit of a deeper level understanding of God. Okay, so I would just say in response to that, there are different ways to get there. And maybe this form of interaction, while I think it's a very good way that almost every church does not use, there are other ways. And I think most of us are looking at a very polar uh, distinction between this method that's hard and does work versus what maybe most of us are putting as a foil to that, which is kind of a shallow expression of not working. And I think there's things in between. I think there are other ways to get there. There are some people who are uncomfortable hearing people talk and conflict. I've had people come up and just say, I like it when you talk and I don't like it when anybody else talks. I'm like, that's odd for a group <laughs> where the whole premise is everybody is supposed to get the chance to talk. But that's kind of their preference. So they might still want to go deeper, and they're just saying, but this doesn't totally do it for me. I think we're in agreement that there's a lot of expressions that the form of how we do it does not form people well. This form really works you out and forms you well. I just think there might be others. Jeremy, do you have a comment? I was going to actually say that, and that I think the emphasis is on this as a method. So... Um, I always thought that the strength of Exodus was not coming to conclusion or to consensus because the reality is we're not ever going to get that kind of unification. It's not, in my mind, about correct or incorrect thinking or black and white thinking because I think what this experiment has shown is that um, if you can make it through the challenge of just the thinking part and of the fact that people are going to think differently at the end, or you're going to learn something new that's going to shift you or, or unsettle you, that you have to be comfortable with that. And, and that that's okay, that, that, that there are other methods and forms in which you can inform or help deepen someone's understanding of God, uh, because this kind of exercise is always an exercise of people thinking differently and, and wrestling and coming to different conclusions. And, and I do want to push back a little and just say that I don't believe that everything we bring to the, to the table doesn't have a right answer. I believe that there are right answers and that we do try to bring those forward. And whether or not you get to that point on your, on your own or with us or whatever, along this journey with us, that's up to you. But I do believe that you know, scripture is sound. And when you present scripture, there's right answers. So I just want to push back on that and say that, and that it's not that, that we don't have a right answer. And so we're just, all we're doing is talking back and forth at each other, I mean, I don't feel like that's in the case, um, you know. 
I think that's interesting because it is kind of, I, I feel like the point of Exodus is we sort of have tried to seek after truth and, and be sound in, in scripture and, and really kind of get to a point where we can reach a consensus of truth. And there are small variables um, where people may not completely agree on maybe certain aspects of it, but I think we have come to some pretty great answers and some truths that we can apply to our lives. And, and seeing that happen through the discussion and the disagreement and kind of seeing what settles at the end is kind of what's really beautiful. Let me just respond to that, though. If you are looking for the room to all agree on the same thing at the same time, you're right. It's not going to happen. There's always going to be a few people who say, I don't agree with that. And it was different in each series. There were times when we were in a different series where somebody that I agreed with almost on everything disagreed and all the way through the series had a different opinion. But what I want to make clear is that Exodus, in my mind, was never an, an excuse to just let people think out loud and go away disagreeing. Because that's, that's not a worth it exercise. There was a lot more agreement than there was disagreement. But you're right that even when we disagreed, when certain people disagreed, and it was always changing, it was the fact that we had gone through the process together and committed to one another that reminded us that Christ is still greater than all that we know and even what we think, right? And there was still room many, many times to say, well, we're not together on that point, but we are together in Christ. I remember that specifically about the series on the scriptures. And that's why it was great to dialogue this way and say, here's two people that won't agree on much, but everybody can hear it. And then we're still united. Well, we'll let the series stand for themselves. Go back and listen to them. You'll, you'll be surprised, I would say, having edited them for all these years and going back and listening to them so carefully, how often we actually resolve things together right. rather than left them open. Mm. But not everybody. I agree with you. Not every time. And that was good because you could show that there was still a diversity of view even at the end of this series. And I just remember like the thing about Exodus. I can say I've been here for almost a decade and you've put everything into this for that whole time. You actually care about each and every single person that's here. I've seen you like struggle with people's struggles and feel pain. And I think... Whatever method, if it's not an interactive form or whatever it is, going deeper can be dangerous. I think it's really important, but it needs to be done. Whoever might be listening to this that wants to do it or become part of a community, it needs to be sustained for a long period of time. And if you're going to kind of shake someone up, you better be prepared to commit to like going all the way through with them from beginning to end and not just shake someone up and like leave. That's like the important thing is that you're there with that person and that it's a building thing. It doesn't deconstruct only, but also rebuild. Phil. I was also thinking just like, at least how I always thought about even like the topics we discussed in Exodus, there were all these topics that like, we didn't feel a normal church service growing up in the church did justice to. But we're like, I just have questions about this. I don't understand this. It's confusing. It's complicated. I hear different views. It's almost, almost every topic I feel was about views and ideas that people in the world disagree upon vehemently and we don't have an easy answer for. So I mean I think inherent in that like there was like we always tried to get to like better ideas about it but like we we didn't always reach a simple conclusion because that was sort of the idea. If there was a simple conclusion we wouldn't have needed to talk about it. But the idea of even talking about those things at all I think was very helpful because it allowed us to voice thoughts and allowed us to like get other people's thoughts and get better, healthier views, even if we didn't always reach the same healthier view. Yeah, that's right. 
So I want to know if, kind of this is a two-part question, if you could slap a warning label <laughs> on Exodus, on an interactive form, in going deeper, or we could call it advice if you want to do that, um, for people that are going to embark it as just trying to go deeper, not the, not the person that's actually doing the ministry, but attending the ministry. Is there like advice you would give, a method to going through something like this and deconstructing your faith? Like, for example, staying deep in the word while you're doing something like this or having lots of support? Or is there a good way, a, a best way to start to go down this journey? And then the other end of that would be for the person that is running the ministry, warning labels for them or advice onto a best way to maybe do it. Well, just like I would say to the person who would be running the ministry, you never really know how people receive you until you stand in front of people who are allowed to just live in real time say whatever they want about what you're saying. Uh, Then you'll really know how you are received and how well you know your stuff. I would say to that same ministry leader, I would say, as I said last week, do not deconstruct if you are not committed to reconstructing somebody. You are not only doing something that's cruel, I actually think that you are doing such damage in the kingdom that you should have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the, into the water. That is a grave warning to think that we're so good and so cool at being able to deconstruct people's theology, especially people we don't like or people we think are kind of too simple, and then not committing to reconstructing. But I would say that to the participant as well. If you think you want to go through this exercise and go deeper and are going to allow yourself to deconstruct some of the things you believe, you need to be committed to staying through the reconstruction. And sometimes it's a matter of time, but more often that's a matter of just personal commitment to faith, where you say, look, until I'm presented with something that cannot, under any circumstance, be reconciled with faith, I have to resolve things in favor of faith. Otherwise, why did I do this exercise to begin with? And, and a lot of people ask me, like, in the years that you've done this, have you found anything that you just thought, oh, this is it. This is the thing that I've dug so deep that I believe that Christianity has a problem. And I'll tell you honestly, I haven't found that. But I've found a lot of things that are troubling. And in those cases, you have to say, look, does it preclude faith? No. Is it troubling? Yes. Do I understand it? Not fully. I'm shaken. But that's Okay. Because I still choose to believe that's what faith is. I still put my full trust in Jesus Christ. And I think a participant needs to do the same thing to say, we've gone to a level that, you know, I'm not even comfortable anymore because I've always believed this. And now that you've presented it and you've shown me the issue at a deeper level, I can see that's not really the best way to see it anymore. And at that moment when the earth is shaking under your feet, you've got to remember the reason I did this in the first place was to go deeper with my faith, not to leave it. So the, that warning is important, like stay committed to your faith and stay committed to being reconstructed, participate in your own reconstruction, right? right? And again, the, the people facilitating and pastoring the group need to be doing that, but you've got to be part of it. The other thing is we have to check our heart because, you know, the best arguments for faith can be rejected when your heart is in the wrong place. Even weak arguments sometimes will win you over when your heart is there. It really is sometimes a heart issue. And and that's something that I want to say that people should also be warned about. That sometimes our struggle is because of emotional issues we're going through. Uh, Sometimes it's because of anger and past hurts in our lives. You and I have had this conversation before about how experience in our past colors the thing we're saying. 
I've heard it in this room so often where I can see somebody's whole frame of thinking is a reaction to something. It's not really a well-formulated construction. They didn't construct it because they started just putting the pieces together and one day they came to the formulation. What they did was they're so upset about something or something in the past or even sometimes someone that they'll construct something that you look at and you think, that is not even stable. That's not even going to stand. But you're, you're just stubbornly holding on to it and refusing to see that you're reacting to something. Let go. We can't be teachable in those moments. So sometimes it's the condition of our own emotion. And last week I said the third thing is there are times when spiritual warfare is just absolutely real. I mean, we, in this group, we've dealt with it. We've seen it. Uh, and again, I'm not somebody who just throws that term out lightly. I've always believed that spiritual warfare is arguments that stand against the existence of God or our knowledge of him. And we've dealt with a lot of those arguments in here. And we've hopefully dealt with them in a way where we put them aside. But there are plenty of times where I thought it's sticking too much with certain types of people who are receiving it. And that is something we should have prayed more through. And that's probably, uh, I would say, a weakness, uh, is that we engage so much in, in these arguments, some of which were spiritual warfare themselves. Right. And we probably were not praying enough through it. It would be a warning that I would give is that, you know, we think, oh, you know, just with our own power, we could just deconstruct those arguments and deal with them. And scripture is clear that there are some arguments that aren't put in our own mind by us. And they are there to cloud our view of God. Doing this again, I would say we would probably have more of an emphasis in that area. In prayer? Definitely. Just because I think I started to believe the lie that, hey, you know, this is what I do. I'm able to play with arguments. This is what, what my profession is, how I do it, without realizing that that meant that I was ignoring the very real aspect that spiritually uh, there are times when the issue is not just, can I out-argue you? Right. Or can I just take that notion away because it's not really well constructed? Sometimes that argument was sticking even when everybody around a person could say, that doesn't make any sense. Like you're really clinging to something and it's coming from somewhere else. And uh, when I was editing later, I would hear it. I mean, literally, in my headphones, I would hear the emotion, the frustration, the, the stuff, and I would realize, like, yeah, you know what? I was trying to logically take that apart. This isn't logic. This is emotion. This is hurt. This is spiritual attack. Uh, and I'm trying to deal with it like, oh, you know, I can deal with this on my own without actually having turned to something much more powerful than me and say, no, we, we need more prayer here and less argument. Mm, interesting. So uh, let's address those uh, listeners out there on the internet <laughs> um, and to our podcasts. I mean, you've said community is really important, and community is very important here at Exodus. Um, so what about people listen to podcasts that can't necessarily, or can't necessarily, really can't ask questions unless they email you, which has happened at times, but can't interact and they're just sort of listening to this process, um, what benefit do you think that has for them or how does that work? How would you like to address our amazing listeners? Well, I think there is a benefit for sure because the most consistent comment we've gotten from people who've written in from different parts of the country or somewhere else from a different country has been uh, that I found a place where people can ask questions and they usually identify that somebody asked a question they really wanted to hear the answer to. So one benefit that I think needs to be stated clearly, we believe this model works because the Holy Spirit speaks through all the people in the room. 
And what we've been doing is capturing through the crowd mics and the interaction, the Holy Spirit wrestling in other people other than the main speaker. I have to believe that that impacts people, not just because they like your question. I mean, you guys asked really good questions and you never let me get away with stuff. <laughs> uh, and that means that there are people out there who are going to hear that great question and there's a good chance it was their question too. But not just because we're such good question askers. Because if I believe that the Spirit speaks through us, then the Spirit is speaking also to someone who's listening to it later. Now, I know the point of the question is, but they're not in community with us. And yes, that would be greater. I think that this model works better if you can see what Jeremy was talking about earlier, that after you go at each other and you do all these things, everybody went out together right. and everybody like just said, okay, that was good. We learned something. We saw where the differences were. We still are committed to one another and to Christ. And now we're going to go forward to the next week and do that again. And in the interim, nobody's storming out of the room. Nobody is, in fact, just the opposite. People would stay for long periods of time. I think it would have been good to see that. Um, but I also think just the nature of it being online allows somebody another benefit, which is I can listen to it when I want to. I can take it with me when I want to. Uh, and even though I can't be there to ask that question, I think the number one thing that they would say is, but somebody asked it. And somebody made it more real. It wasn't just listening to a guy in a sermon. It wasn't just somebody telling us their opinion. Uh, some of your personalities got to be known. And they would comment specifically about that person, and I like it when that person asks a question. I think that's, that shows that people can follow that along. Look, the honest truth is, I don't think there's many places that did this. Somewhere, those questions are being asked. Now that we put it entirely to podcast form, hey, those questions get asked every time somebody downloads it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, so that question that you asked one time, or I'm sure it was more than one, <laughs> uh, those questions, I mean, they're going to be asked thousands of times. Every time somebody downloads it again, it gets asked all over again. And I think that's kind of cool. You know, we have a lot of content on the internet, uh, but not much to where people get to push back and do that, where the question keeps getting repeated. What were some of the bigger struggles that you kind of faced through this whole journey? And like even deeper than that, a personal cost to you, if there was one? Now it gets personal. <laughs> The biggest struggles for me have been relational. This ministry exposes people's true feelings and emotions about very deeply held beliefs and subjects. That was difficult. I mean, it, it took a toll almost every time after every single discussion. I think I talked about a couple weeks ago. I felt beat up not because of the, the interaction but because of the emotion and the difficulty that was going on. That has been really hard, and it's, it has taken a toll, and it will take a long time to maybe deal with that. It was hard to do uh, without as much support as we needed. So there were a lot of other things that I think we could have had support in over the years from our own church and from other people uh, that we didn't always get, and that was hard. Uh, because this was such a hard thing to do already, with all the time and energy that had to go in to do it, it was hard uh, to sometimes feel like you were doing it on your own. Uh, and I don't mean that people in the group weren't doing it. I mean, just people outside the group. I think those were, were kind of were tough, uh, big deals. So in all honesty, were there times over the last nine years where you just wanted to stop doing Exodus and 
Um, obviously, you didn't until we're winding it down now. You kept going. Um, how, how did you keep going if there were moments where you just wanted to stop? The times when I felt like I wanted to stop the most were after, um, after departures and key people in the group. I, I remember even back in 2006, we were reflecting on this last week. We were building plans to do some stuff with Exodus with somebody who was really key in the group at that time, and, and we spent weeks talking about it, and then at the end of that whole process, he said, you know what, I'm actually feeling like moving on and going somewhere else. And it was just such a disheartening thing. Uh, so yeah, there were moments like that. I think every Sunday was a moment like that for me. Uh, in this way, I mean, I want to be clear what it was. There was, there was a moment, no, not it was a moment, it was about, a, about an hour. <laughs> every Sunday between five and like six, uh, where I had finished the entire week of preparation, I knew what it was that I was going to come in and do. Uh, I was packing up the car and thinking, nobody wants to do this. And maybe it was a moment of deep insecurity every single Sunday. I think what people want to do, what I want to do, forget what people want to do, what I want to do is I want to have worship and I want to have fun and I want to have like a cool thing and a short talk, like really short, you know, and like make you feel good and just, you know. and I, Send you I, on that, your way with a big grin. Right, and everybody's excited and I want to see people's arms raised while they're worshiping just like, like and just feel like I brought people to the edge and it was like awesome, you know. And I was driving thinking, we're going to tear apart this, or we're going to peer deeply into this, or we're going to struggle with something somebody said last week that is troubling a bunch of people, or I just read this whole book on whether God is inside of time or outside of time, and <laughs> we're going to have to resolve that issue because someone's having a big heart attack over that issue in the group, and we got to do it. And I would think, who wants to do this? And that was a struggle, and that's when I wanted to quit. So it, it wasn't like just once in a while. It was almost all the time. And then I would come in here and there would be people here and we would go through it and we would interact. And yes, there were those difficult times, but most of the time when you were done, you're like, man, that was amazing. And later when you were editing, it was even more amazing than you remembered. Because in the moment you were still like trying to deal with those feelings, but later you just realized, I'm so glad we didn't stop. I'm so glad we went a little bit further. I'm so glad we took on that other series. I'm so glad that Yes, there were times, I'll confess honestly, I looked at people and I thought, I'm abusing you totally. And you looked at me and said, yes, you are. <laughs> I can see it on your face. <laughs> Some of you could care less whether God was inside or outside of time, you know, and you thought, who cares? That one person asked a question, why answer it? You know, like, just leave it alone. Uh, we don't need to know. But I felt later that it was just so key to what was going on. Like, I really felt the Spirit directed us in such ways and the only way you'll believe me is go back and listen. Even the series you were sitting here from, and you'll be surprised. So different when you go back and listen go to it. Go back and listen. It will be a totally different experience when you go back and listen. Every one of us remembers it differently than the way it actually happened. <laughs> it's true. And that's why when you hear the recording, you'll be like, well, I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't even remember me saying that, right? That was me. Um, that was me. <laughs> and then we cringe as we hear... <laughs> Some of the things that we might have done. Yeah, I mean, we recently had the experience of having somebody drive all the way from Seattle right. to come all the way down here to tell us that they heard our podcast and that God told them they had something they had to tell us. And the most key part of the whole night was what? When they played back a part of our talk. Yeah. They said, the Lord told me you need to hear your own talk, that you're not listening to yourself. And he played that part. It was just five minutes of that talk. And this room, if you were here, was like just electric. Yeah. 
I mean, I remember editing that tub. I don't remember anything that he was playing, and it was just six months before. <laughs> and, and that's why I would say, like, if, if you're just sitting here and you think, like, yeah, 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 no, no, do it. Go back and listen to two or three series that you were part of, and you will realize that what you remember about it is different. Our memories play tricks on us, but the microphone doesn't often do that, right? <laughs> well, kind of just to, I don't know, be vulnerable for a second myself and touch a bond what you said about you just want the hand raising and the singing and the praising God. Not that we didn't raise hands in here sometimes. <laughs> we were kind of a quiet group in worship. But um, even though maybe you didn't see that kind of electricity here, which is, is important, Jeremy, for people to experience sometimes to just worship God and throw their hands up and feel that emotion. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Leave it to Exodus. Uh, no, but there were times... And these are things you don't see, but I'll just tell you you didn't see, where I'd sit here and something would happen and I'd go home. And I wasn't necessarily always raising my hand and, like, worshiping, but I remember a couple of times where I got home, I got on my knees and, and, like, wept and, like, cried because something just cracked open wide inside of me. And sometimes it was like I didn't even know how far off I was or that I was doing this thing or how did I not see God in this way. And it, like, emptied me out in a good way. And, like, I felt so light and closer to God. And just that's part of the amazing thing that happens here, that stretching. And you don't get to see that. And I've told you before, and I'm even at fault for this, that I don't think you hear that enough. I don't think we necessarily did the best job of saying, John, this is how what you did, because you were obedient to God and do this every week, changed my life. And I am happier. And maybe I went home and cried because I was like, really sad about some stuff that was wrong with my life, or maybe happy about something that was good, um, how that impacted us. So, yeah. Well, I think to say why I kept going sometimes, a lot of times the next series on the horizon kept me going too because I would realize that there's still more to say and there was still more to do. And we would be in a series that was really difficult and there were moments I just wanted to stop. And I would think, what's the point? You know, what are we doing? And somehow, like, a, a seed would just start for the next thing that I knew was coming on the horizon. Right. And it would be so exciting, and I knew there was so much energy and so much power that was going to be unleashed in that next series. And so much help that was going to help people who were way away from this room across the when they heard it, that I would just start to think, okay, all right, that's going to give me enough energy to keep going. I'm going to finish what we're doing. We're going to get through it. We're going to be okay. We're going to go on to the next thing. And that actually is one of the greatest reasons that we're winding down Exodus is that we got to the point mm -hmm. where through nine years of talking about all the things <laughs> that we talked about that I'm looking around and I'm asking the Lord like what's next what's the thing and I I didn't I didn't feel it anymore and I felt like maybe with all the transitions that were already going on in the group and the fact that I felt like that well of excitement and energy for really taking on these topics was kind of starting to dry up Maybe that's another confirmation. Maybe that's another way that we go, okay, uh, we, you know, these last two years have been so rich with great series. These two, last two years have been amazing to me. Um, and the group has been so into them, I think, at times. So it was in the midst of that that I thought, well, then what's the next one? And it, there just wasn't. So you're kind of headed where I was going with my next question. I wish I had a clicker to click the slide and be cool like you, like, on that topic. Next slide, there it is. Um, are there any topics that you um, didn't cover that you wish you would have, or did you pretty much just hit everything? Or There are some topics I wish we had covered, or I wish we had 
the energy to cover maybe is the right way that I was so excited to do. I will say that one thing, if we had more time, that I felt like God gave us more time to do Exodus, I would do another one or two books of the Bible. Right? Our series on Matthew and our series on Ephesians probably stand as some of the best things we've done. Uh, it is so great to see how Matthew came out. I mean, it's, some of you know, it's 45 weeks of people interacting with the book of Matthew literally live. Uh, and that is really awesome. Um, we did that with Ephesians in 16 weeks. I, I would have loved to do, uh, somebody suggested the book of James. would have been awesome. Uh, maybe even to take on an Old Testament text. One of the funny things that happened to me is the method we used in Exodus became so much a part of my own learning because I was, of course, the one reading so many of the things in the background that when people ask me what I think about something now, if we didn't do an Exodus series about it, I kind of hesitate. <laughs> I feel like I don't know anything unless I've read five or six books and then processed it with all of you, and then I might know something about it, right? So a topic I would love to do, even though I don't know that it's one we needed to do, I would love to do a topic on, like, the, the rapture, the millennium, the end times, all those things that, like, you know, in Christianity, everybody just reads the Tim LaHaye books, and that's the default. <laughs> and, and, and we shouldn't, well, we shouldn't laugh too much because nobody else is teaching it, right? right. There's this, like, so their view represents probably less than 10% of Christians across the whole age of Christianity, right? It's a very minority view, but nobody else teaches it. So there's a part of me that thinks that would have been cool to do. But maybe it was a selfish reason, because I think, I'd like to know what I think about it. You know, like somebody says to me, like, what's your view on the millennium? It's like, I don't know. Because if we haven't done an exodus, like, I don't really have an opinion. I think whatever I believed is probably invalid until I go through all <laughs> the books process. on it. Right. Read a book on five views on the millennium and then come wrestle with you and then have a view on it. You know, Brian, through all the series that we've done uh, in all your studies doing them, which one would you say? that your perspective or belief changed the most through doing all the study? I would say early on, probably one of the ones that changed my perspective the most was the series on heaven. Uh, probably because like most people, I didn't have one. I realized that all the things that we didn't see, that was a real big one. So it was really monumental in my life because it showed me a whole vision of something I didn't have any understanding of. And like most people, when you come to that series, you. You have some idea, and then by the time you're done with it, you realize you don't have much. Uh, recently, I would say one that really moved me a lot and changed a lot of my thinking was our series on salvation. Uh, we had danced around the issue for a long, long time, but I think until we dove into why it's been such a controversial thing and why people have had different camps and couldn't reconcile all the views on salvation for so long, there were some things that I kind of grew in and really realized. So I think that's probably a big one for me. And it probably reflects why it was so difficult for us, too. Because in the midst of it, as I was reading book after book after book from different perspectives, this is changing some of what I believe. Where am I going to land at the end of this? Looking back, what are you most proud of? I'll have to name a couple things. I'm proud that we did this. Um, because a lot of people told us it wouldn't work. Even a couple mentors of mine told me it, it wouldn't work. One of my mentors told me there would never be a girl in Exodus. Ha! Uh, I don't know who that is, but what's up? <laughs> and, and, I'm here. Huh? It's probably too long to go into, but it was a she, you know, and she's like, you'll never have any girls in this group. Okay. 
That was, that was devastating <laughs> at the time. <laughs> that was really harsh. Uh, I'm proud that we stuck with it. And I'm proud that we executed it well. This was a hard thing to facilitate and to do. Uh, if you thought it was hard to sit here, I'll tell you, it was way harder to do week after week. And I'm proud that we did it. I'm proud that we have left behind the podcast that will go on. I'm very proud of that. To the point where some of you may have heard me say, like, I believe that will be the greatest contribution I give to the kingdom. I'm only 43. I may have other things that God will have me do in my life. I don't think they will be more important or greater. That's just my view. God might prove me wrong. So I'll be listening to these words and I'll eat those words later. (laughs) I'm proud of the fact that we did not do Exodus as a thing. It was what we lived. Mm -hmm. Lena and I got married and two months later took over Exodus and began to do this. And it has been in our lives, in the center of everything we do and think about for the entire time that we've been married. And it was not a program. It was not something that we looked at like... It, it was really something that was very important to us, and we talked about it every day, we thought about it every day, whether it was something as trivial as, what are we cooking on Wednesday when everybody comes over, we've got to start doing this, and you do this part, or whether it was me staying up and saying, I've got to edit this, or do this, or read this book, or letting, her letting me just go off for hours and hours at a time into my office so I could get ready uh, for whatever we were doing next. We lived with it. And all of you were in our lives, in and out of our house constantly. And we lived open like that, with Exodus just being what we were about. Like, everything else was almost on the side. And that was, you know, we have to do some correcting there. Like, at times, even Lena and I realized, like, we do have to pay a little bit more attention to our marriage and our child and and other things (laughs) in our lives. Um, There are some unhealthy things. Like, Lena and I realized we don't have any friends outside of Exodus anymore. This became so much of what we did, and it took up so much time to practice law and to do all those things we were talking about earlier that we made this almost everything, and now we have to go back and learn how to you know, do other things and have friends that are our age, and, <laughs> you know, some who have kids maybe or something. Like, <laughs> like that's a big deal. Uh, but I'm proud that we weren't looking at it as a program, as just a thing you had to do, that it was really like... Our life's offering is to you, Lord. And while some of you interacted with us on a Sunday or on a Wednesday, we were constantly thinking about you all week long. This never left for all of those years. And I'm going to go through withdrawals in some way. It's healthy probably to do that. But there will be some deep withdrawals because I can't read a magazine without thinking, oh, I've got to, oh, no, there's nobody to tell anymore. (laughs) You know, like nobody to tell this to. Or if I read something, it's just for me now, right? Those are going to be things I need to learn, which is good. Uh, but I'm proud that we were able to do that for those many years. If you see anything in a magazine, feel free to email it to me. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to start being that annoying person. Is like, you can see this. You <laughs> can't let it go. <laughs> I'll, be the, I'll be the new Dan McCurry. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dan, what's up? <laughs> Shout out. Um, I get all my news from Dan. <laughs> like, oh. Uh, What's the hardest thing about letting go of Exodus? I think it's, uh, wow. One of the hardest things four or five months ago was to tell people that Exodus was coming to a close. I mean, I started sensing that we were winding down and that these series really were the last ones we had to offer 
probably nine months ago to a year ago. I knew, and I was planning every week what we were going to do and exactly when we would tell people how we'd do it. So I'm very proud that we executed the wind down of Exodus really well. Mm. It didn't fall apart. It didn't come at the wrong time. We didn't wait till it just ground to a halt. Like in the midst of doing well, we knew that it was time. This was the end of last year. We had the best year we've had, I think. We knew that it was still time. And we avoided the temptation to think, oh, no, we could just keep going. And I was like, it was time. And we were going to plan it very well and wind down very well. So I'm very, actually very proud of the wind down. But when it came time to actually, according to even the schedule I had set, like now is the time when you start telling people, that was very difficult. Because I knew that once you press that button, it would set into motion a series of events that you couldn't undo. And the hardest things about letting Exodus go are knowing that it's unique knowing that we kind of went on this path and I wish there were other people doing it because of the benefit it brings to people, but there aren't. Knowing that if we had to start this all over again, just go, oh, no, 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 we got to start it over again, it would almost be impossible. God can do anything, but it would be so hard and you'd have to do it with a whole different group and everything would be changed. That was very hard, just even doing that. Because as I said, it's become so much a part of our life That even though we knew this was right, to actually do that is going to be hard. I very much am going to miss having new content to put out there for others to listen to. Uh, As much as I hate the editing process and it takes so long to edit (laughs) these podcasts, I'm going to miss the fact that there won't be new things that we could share with all the people that keep listening. So it's going to be very hard for me in a way... Because there are going to be people I know who are going to send an email saying, is that it? Is that the last one? Like, I've listened to all of them. Like, what's next? And there's going to be nothing. And that's going to kill me. Because I feel like so much of our ministry impact was outside of these walls. It's okay, though. For a little while, at least it's going to be like Tupac or Michael Jackson songs that keep coming out. <laughs> there's so much to edit still. Yeah, They'll be popping up for a while. There's, there's still like probably 20 or so podcasts. Right. That still, uh, <laughs> That's what you can out. do with your withdrawal. Yeah. I've also said that what's been hard from a Wednesday night perspective, it's going to be hard. Not only our marriage was born and Exodus was like, it's, it's like, you know, almost its purpose. Uh, our daughter was born. <laughs> our daughter was born into Exodus. Right. I mean, you know, she was a month old when we resumed Wednesday nights, and she has grown up seeing everybody every Wednesday and every Sunday night recently, and she loves this, right? And so every week seeing people worship God in our house and coming together, like, she is going to have a hard time understanding why people don't come anymore. So you guys better come back once in a while. She's going to have a hard time, and I wish that I could just continue to raise her in an environment where she sees us every week worshiping God, dealing with one another in love and fellowship, reading scripture together, and opening up our home and, and doing that so she could grow up that way. And that's, that really is something that I'm going to miss too. That's going to be very hard to let go because Lena and I struggled for so long. Like maybe we keep just parts of it going. Like maybe we let it just kind of keep going on its own in some other way. Or like, let's keep that going, you know? And the decision was, no, yeah, it really is important to let people move on and to say, we've done this thing. It's come to its conclusion. I really feel like God has confirmed that in so many ways. Now it's time for us to go to what we're supposed to do next. Uh, as much as I would love that one aspect, just jealously for my own daughter, you know, to see that. Well, Christine, if you're 30 years old and listening to this one day, 
it was awesome seeing you raise your little hands and sing. <laughs> yeah, that's... That, <laughs> you, all, you called us your friends, too. You liked when the friends came over yeah. to the house. You might not remember us by now, but... <laughs> yeah, she always wanted to hang out with the friends. She wanted to know why they had to go home. You know, like, where are they going? I think one of the hardest things for me, if I could just interject about letting go, is something I'm going to take with me, is the idea of community. And I remember reading in the Bible about community and seeing different communities and not fully understanding until I was a part of something like this. And, like, I truly feel, I'm, like, looking around the room, really connected and close to and grateful to everyone that's in here. And everyone here was such a huge part of the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. And like my, the growth of my spirituality, getting closer to God. And I'm going to long for that. And I know that my relationships hopefully won't completely end just because Exodus is over. And I'll look for a different community that I can be invested in every week, obviously. But I think I'll cherish it differently. And that's so important. I didn't realize how important and special and beautiful that is. And it's so comforting when I think about things like heaven. And we talk about maybe we'll continue to have these relationships there one day and Remember back when. It's kind of a beautiful thing, but what is Exodus's legacy? Mm. Well, it's not going to surprise you because I've already alluded to the fact that I really believe that these podcasts that we leave behind are going to be a big part of our legacy. Uh, the reason for that is because there may be other interactive forums around the country that we haven't been able to find or know about much. Uh, there may be some in the future. But none of them are crazy enough to have recorded their talks <laughs> uh, and then spent all the time to edit the comments so that you could hear them. And in a way, that's going to be, I would think, fairly unique. Among whatever the church is putting out, that's going to be unique. And I've said in previous weeks that the fact that we even stumbled into doing that uh, was sheer grace from God because we were not even realizing what we were doing when we started. We were doing it for totally different reasons. And it ended up being something that has become the biggest part of our legacy. That's one aspect. That's what we leave behind. I also think the other legacy of Exodus is we now have actually demonstrated how this would work. We've quoted from books that have talked about how this is the best way for young adults to learn. We've looked at surveys and sociological research that has been done on how the millennial generation needs to interact and needs to talk back and needs to wrestle and needs to come to their own conclusions and all that stuff. And I could cite survey after survey and book after book that all say these things, and yet we're able to show people the how you could do it. Not that this is the only way, but having done it for this long, we actually can leave behind, as we've done in this last series, kind of a how-to guide, or at least a what not to do and what we did. And I think that's an important legacy that could be more important than just the content, because if there were more people that wanted to do it and found it valuable, as I think it is, especially because all those people doing the research say it is, so if they're all right, then some more people should be doing it. And we at least leave behind how it's done. You get to listen to the content and actually hear how it's done. As an example, you know, we're leaving behind almost 300 different podcasts that show how you did it. Uh, but we're even leaving these last five behind that tell people and exactly how it was done behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. How many hours did it take to do this? And people ask very important questions, I think, that night about would this work and could you do this? And we at least tried to answer them. I think that's an important legacy. I think those two things are important. And then there's the personal legacy. The Lord says in Scripture that his word doesn't return empty. 
but he doesn't promise us that we know the purposes that it will accomplish. It just says that it will accomplish the purposes he wants for it. So, like in every ministry, not just this one, but in every one, there have been some things that I'll not know about. There have been some things that you've told me about that it has done, uh, but there will be things that we'll never get to know about. I mean, if you look at all the amount of talks that are downloaded, uh, we have just the smallest, minute amount of feedback in those emails that come from different people. We don't know what else it's done, and that will continue. The same is true in this room. I'm confident that it leaves behind a legacy in your own lives, uh, but I'll leave it for you to tell me what that is in some of those emails, because I think that's the third part of it. Chris. Okay, uh, do you feel any responsibility with that valuable resource that you refer to in the podcast all the time? Of getting that out there to more people, or you just want to leave it and let people find it? Well, it's a little of both. Um, I know that when we're done, I've got to finish editing the ones that haven't been edited. We have plans to go back to the beginning and re edit some of the earlier ones with the better technology that we now think we might be able to clean them up a little bit. So, my work in a way isn't really done. Um, I think I said in a previous week that if we just spent one week on each of the previous podcasts, I'd have six years worth of work to do ahead of me to go back and redo that. I don't know that that's really going to happen. But I do believe that there's also going to be a group of people who probably try to think about how to improve even what we already have, which is already quite a bit, but to do something that maybe would help people find them easier. At the same time, the reason I hesitate is because I'm, I'm not good at promotion. Self-promotion is the worst thing to me. I, I, that's why even talking is hard for me about this. As much as I like to talk, this is hard. Uh, I'd like the focus to be on something else or someone else. Because right? I do believe that it is valuable enough. I'm not going to be shy about this. I think this content is of super value. And it's not just because I did it. We all did it. Uh, it's just, some of it is mind-blowing. When you hear what happens when people do this, and I think we got to get it out there. We're going to need some help to do it, figure out how that happens, right? And it's probably going to take, like, winding this down, finishing off the last talks, getting everything out there, resting for a moment, thinking, what do we do with it next, right? Because I don't want it to get old and stale and just go away. I think it has too much value. I'm going to have to steward that. That's one of the – I mean, if this really is that important of a legacy as I said it was, and it is the most important thing that I'll have to contribute, I don't think my stewardship of that content ends just because we're done. I believe that you carry that as a responsibility to the Lord to say, if there's still more I can do with it, you know, without having to meet every Sunday night, I'm willing to do that time. So then, what's the one thing you want people to know about their faith? Jesus is the truth. And you can know him personally, and you can have faith in him. My testimony to you about your faith, I can't tell you all the time what to believe. I've learned <laughs> I can't do that. You'll resist me even more. I should tell you the opposite. You know, I should tell you there is no God. Then you'll all believe in him. Right? <laughs> For every hour we spend in this room wrestling, I conservatively spent 10 to 15 hours reading a whole host of very difficult materials, some that were completely from a different perspective other than Christianity. Some were from different perspectives within Christianity. And I've done that for nine years. 
couple of weeks ago, I showed you the motor that runs Exodus, the heart. If you opened up, looked under the hood, it was that big bookshelf of all the books we've read, something close to like 200 books that we've read to put on these series. And what I want you to know about your faith from my own testimony is I believe having read all of that material that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I never got to a place where I thought, no, he's not. No, this is crazy. After all of that, the one thing I'd like to tell you about your faith is that I would still say that if this wasn't true, then nothing is true. And that I would still give my life for this being true. We had a lot of intellectual discussions in here, a lot of logical discussions in here, and that was great. But on a couple Wednesday nights ago, I said the reason that I still love Jesus is because I love who he is and I'm attracted to the beauty of Christ and the witness of so many other people that are so much smarter than me that I've read their books and I've heard their thoughts and I've seen what they've said who also affirm that. And I've seen what he's done in my own life and in your lives. But at least the one thing I can comment on is having read all of that and seen all of that and struggled with it and thought about it from every angle as an attorney, as someone cross-examining my own faith, I still believe that faith is the right answer and that Jesus Christ is Lord. You'll have to do that on your own, maybe, but I want you to hear it from me, uh, that I affirm that and I'm unwavering in that after all that I've seen. I wish you were there with me looking over my shoulder and we could have had that conversation not just for an hour, but for 20 hours every week. But that's what I want you to know. After probably a decade that I've spent with you, and I think I've even told you this before, I've often wondered how you even begin to thank somebody for contributing the most beautiful thing to my life, my faith, for deepening it, for being such an intrinsic part of why I love God so much and how I love Him. And there's not even words for how beautiful that is for me to experience. And so my way to thank you is to tell and just proclaim to everyone here and to anyone that's online, because that matters too, and it might matter to them, to speak to your character I've known John for so long, personally, spiritually, on a very deep level. You really, not only do you really love God, like it's so legit and it's like persuasive in every other kind of like part of your life. You care about everybody here. And I've personally seen this man like struggle to make sure that he was doing things right and when someone was in pain John was in pain and did this come out right and are you okay and follow up emails and constantly like what people didn't see is behind the scenes how much you love and how much you worried about that and cared about that and because you were obedient to God and listened to that little voice because you are humble and you'd be no it's not me it's not me it's God but you listened and you were obedient and because you did this and invested your life in this. And believe me, he invested his life in this and gave up so much. You affected me and I know everyone in this room and other people that are listening in ways that I can't even begin to describe or understand. And I know that it's going to continue for years and years and years. And so if you're listening, John is legit. He's legit. He loves God. It's real. 
Everything about his life is real. Everything he preaches, he tries to live. And I've seen the growth and the beauty. And you are an amazing husband and father and friend and mentor and servant of God. And there aren't enough words for me to say thank you. But really, thank you. Well, let's thank God and uh, continue to worship for giving us all of these things. Lord, we honor you even in the way that we bring our group to a close. We honor you in our conversation tonight. We thank you that you have given us not only a place to continue to meet, but you have given us fellow travelers on this road that we have grown to love that we've become family with, yes, we've even struggled with. You've given us a real community of people where we've shared meals and we've shared doubts. We've shared laughter, but we've also shared faith. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you gave us the strength and the energy and the opportunity to do all these things. Lord, I am very proud of the fact that we're bringing this to an orderly end that we have heard your voice, that you've given us all these years, and that you will be sending us out soon to continue and to take all of this. So, Lord, I pray a blessing on the people that are here, that we realize that we have been given so much in this group, we've been invested with so much in this group, and that to those that have been invested this much, much more is asked. And then in the coming weeks, as we wind down next week and at our retreat, that you would help us, Lord, to realize that we have the beauty, the blessing, and even, yes, the responsibility to now go out and take everything that we've taken from this group and to share it with others. Thank you, Lord, that you've shared of yourself here, that you've shared your spirit, and that we have heard and received from your spirit, and that we have your spirit in us long after this group is done. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.